Hello and welcome to the Naval Air Podcast. My name is Mike and I am your host. For those of you who are expecting the this show to be the first show with our guest, well, I'm sorry to disappoint. While I was fully planning on starting that series of talks and discussions uh, outlining a student naval aviator's path through the, his pipeline, uh, since the last episode where I had wrapped up deployment and saying that we were done with me and we're going to move on to somebody else, um, several of you out there had expressed a disappointment that I didn't kind of wrap up my service in the Navy, that I just ended with deployment and then you go move on to the next guy and it's like, well, what happened after that, right? Come back from, come back from sea, uh, have our little shindig on that day and then off we ride off into the sunset well okay so it wasn't it wasn't quite like that but anyway i'm going to honor the the feedback i received and kind of run down what i did my last let's see i got back in august august 24th so let's just call august a wash so september october november 14 months my last 14 months in the navy it's a little over a year. So, um, so yeah, we'll just, uh, that way, those of you who are expecting some manner of closure, I can give you your closure. <laughs> and then we can move on to um, shows from our guests. Now, if this r- runs into your like 15 minute story, then maybe we'll pick up. But since, you know, I just cracked the mic and started talking We'll see where it goes, and if it's a you know if it's a moderately length episode, we'll just call it a quick filler, and then I promise we'll be done with me. No more me, unless I get some fantastic request from bazillion people to expand on some little story into more detail or something. But yeah, that's all right. So there, there's the explanation with that. So, um, Okay, I came back. We came back from our deployment, like I just said, August 24th. It was two days early. We were scheduled to come back on the 26th of Monday. And our and the ship's captain uh, pulled strings or whatever, and we got to come in well, two days early, Saturday. I talked about the fly-off. I talked about running into my cousin there. Uh, those sort of things. Um, okay, so now... Having just returned from a deployment, I now have um, somewhat of a commodity. Uh, uh, I'm a I'm an air crewman that's been to sea, uh, gone on a deployment. I'm and I'm I'm have experience that's useful to the squadron. Prior to deployment, my experience was training and and learning how to do anti-submarine warfare and doing those things. So. While I wasn't a burden, uh, I could just barely carry my own weight, and not you know I couldn't mentor other people or any of those things. I could uh, I could do my job, but not really lead other people in it. Okay, and so having gone on deployment now, I have um, you know uh, let's see, call it a baseline knowledge of what's expected of an air crewman while on deployment. You know, specifically a crewman of my community, an H2 or HSL 
crewmen in that time period. So, you would think the squadron would have... No, that's, uh, that's a wrong turn of phrase. Uh, the squadron has a vested interest, let's put it that way, to take that experience and knowledge and have it used, put to use. So they're going to want to send me, put me back on a deployment, you know, another detachment uh, where I can be used to them because I know, you know, I know what to expect, I know what to do, I know how to behave, all those things, and, and get another deployment cycle out of me before my time is up, Okay. Now, you think, wow, 14 months, that's plenty of time. But, you know, let's look back. Um, this is, it's the end of August of 1985. Our detachment formed in September, middle of September of 1984, to go on our first short cruise the 1st of October of 1984. Okay. Our, so, that's almost a year. Call it two weeks. We could... As a matter of fact, if we think about it for a second, we came back end of August. We got a couple few days off. Or I had to go find an apartment. I had to go find a place to live. Because um, just like when I first got to the squadron, there's no place in the barracks for me. So that was an added stress to go find a place to live. Um, you know, But I didn't care that much. It was just, you know, where was I going to sleep? On the ship, right? <laughs> My choice to sleep on the ship. Or find someone to stay with, sleep in the car, uh, go find an apartment. So we, so we got a couple of days off to go integrate. And then we started the work of turning all our stuff back into the squadron, turning the aircraft back over to the squadron, doing those things. So maybe a week. So we were together as a detachment, 51 weeks, right? So at this order of magnitude, you could call it a year. We were together a year as a detachment. So my get out date was the middle of November of 1986. So if they, want, if they wanted me to use me again, they would have to set me up in a detachment no later than, you know, end of September or early October for, our, our year, for us to be together a year. Because, I mean, they need time for when I, you know, for, for to process me to get me out, right? I can't come back from deployment three days before I'm supposed to. Get, I mean, I guess I could. I guess I could come back from deployment three days before I get out, you know, before they're supposed to let me out. Uh, I guess if they really wanted to. Now, guys on the ship, when their enlistment was over and we were overseas, they, you know, they shipped them off. They flew them to the carrier. The carrier flew them to nearest land and land flew them to whatever. And they got back home. Because that was the Navy's obligation to them. Um, but I seem to recall the the attitude at our squadron was, we don't want to... It's a burden to the detachment for you to leave. You know, on a ship of 300 guys, one person leaving is not necessarily a burden because within a week or two, you know, someone will meet us in a port or whatever and that guy will be replaced. But on a detachment, for someone to get out, they have to send someone to replace them. A detachment generally can't just operate one man down for the rest of the deployment. They, you know, someone has to go out there. So the squadron doesn't want to deal with that. They're going to want you to come back before it's time for you to get out. So they're thinking I would have to be placed back on a detachment fairly quick. Like the problem is, you know, this is going to be kind of a 
tangent. Or the problem is I all the all through this time where I'm talking about my time on deployment, I talk about some of the interesting things we've done. I've talked about some of the fun things we've done. Uh, but what you really didn't hear me say is that I liked it a whole lot. Okay, going on deployment for me as a 20 year old guy, considering all the training I've been through, is kind of rude awakening because some of the stuff I was expected to do, I was not prepared to do. I, not you know, not mentally, not trained. Um, just it was never. Um, it was never outlined to me as an expectation of how to of this is what you're gonna have to do on deployment. I mean, I talked about how we would launch, you know, we get up at six thirty, we would launch at seven thirty to be back time, you know, twelve thirty, five hours of flying, and then some time on the deck for quick maintenance, and then we'd launch again at five thirty for another five hours of flying, come back at ten thirty, spend an hour to hour and a half putting the airplane to bed. We do that day in day out. It's tedious. It's boring. It's mind-numbing, okay? I mean, yes, you're doing your work, but sometimes you're not. I mean, we had th we, we were fortunate we had three air crewmen where we typically had two. So, you know, if, uh, if I flew the day flight, you know, air crewman number two flew the night flight, and air crewman three had that day off. And then the next day, uh, air crewman number two flew... The day flight, air crewman three to the night flight, I had the day off. And then, you know, the next day, air crewman three, number three flew the day flight, I th flew the night flight. Air crewman number two had the day off. I mean, you see how that kind of rotated. Well, you know, after you're doing this for a month, you're like, you're starting to realize that, wow, I get up, I eat a quick breakfast, I work to get the airplane ready to fly. Let's say I go flying that day, I go flying. So I'm working. Well, while I'm flying and working, the rest of the detachment is not. They're playing cards, they're taking a nap, they're doing whatever. Whatever they want. Because there's nothing to do for two and a half hours while the airplane is gone. The airplane comes back, we gas it up, take care of any maintenance issues. You know, if there's no maintenance issues, we keep flying. Okay, so now I'm going back to work. I'm flying some more, doing some more work. Come back, we land, we shut down, scarf for lunch because we get back just in time before lunch shuts off. Because lunch is from 1130 to 1230. If we were going to be after lunch, we, we were at the mercy of our compadres to save us some food. Um, so we get back, scarf. Then we help with the maintenance. Help with the maintenance, do whatever. Whatever it needs. Inspections. Fix minor things. Configure the airplane for the next flight. Whatever that next flight is. Those kind of things. Okay, so I've already flown, so now I'm going to be off in the afternoon. Or the nighttime, and the next guy goes and flies. Well, pretty soon you start seeing a pattern that, wow, if I don't do the flying, I don't have to work a whole lot. Okay? I can be out there, launch the airplane, help recover the airplane, help gas it up, help launch the airplane again, help recover the airplane at the end of the day, you know, help do the, the daily inspection, fold it up, and put the airplane to bed, right? And... But for that 10 hours, the two five-hour things, or actually the four, two-and-a-half-hour section of the airplane is not on the boat, I can do whatever the heck I want. So not having been mentally prepared or trained or, you know, the outline or the expectation outlined to me that, yeah, you're going to have to do work while everyone else slacks off, it kind of pisses you off, okay? Now, the funny thing is, is that the the... 
the image that the that my job had the aw the image aw has the we're the screw-offs we didn't have to work while everyone else did well yeah that's, that's the home guard that's the people at home because there's always there's always aircraft maintenance to be done while they're doing aircraft maintenance we're either flying or training you know studying whatever that is required for our job radar theory mad theory you know, sight recognition of air, you know foreign ships and aircraft, all kinds of the stuff that we're, which uh, the people who are bending wrenches don't consider work. Well, when we're on deployment, you know, I've already said that every every set of hands, eyes, and brain that has um, more than passing familiarity with the aircraft, you know, some training, some you know that knows about it is a commodity. Okay, they're they're worth a lot to the success of the detachment as a whole. So as air crewmen, all the way up until this point, we are expected to train, learn how to do our job, go in the airplane and do our job. Not fix the airplane. Not help those guys fix the airplane, then learn to you know train and do our job, and then go do our job. Okay, so that, that, that whole thing, that whole aspect is kind of left out. And when actually you get on the boat and start doing this work, you, you're starting to realize, uh-oh, you know, I work hard, you know, I'm doing more stuff than these other guys and it's starting to piss me off, right? So that whole that whole thing kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, it, it made me realize that going on deployment wasn't all, I don't want to say glamorous, but the fun and games that, it was, that you were led to believe it was. Sure, port visits are fun. And at this time, the Navy is doing less and less port visits. Uh... As a whole, one of the guys on my deployment, he was an electrician and he went on deployment. Heck, he went on deployment during the holiday times. I mean, he left in like October and was gone, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all that holiday. And he said, yeah, we'd go out for five days, pull into port for five days, go out for 10 days. Pull into, I mean, they, they were operating out of Japan and the Philippines and Thailand and they were visiting all these places and never... He said, we never spent more than two weeks of time at sea. We were gone from home for six months, but two weeks at a time underway. And like, holy cow, our deployment, we had you know, we had a 10-day at sea period, two-week at sea period, three-day, but then we'd have a 43-day at sea period, uh, then a 47-day at sea period. And then, you know, so it was, I don't know, it was just mind-numbing and tedious uh, overall. Yes, there's some fun stuff in there to talk about, but over, the point I'm trying to make is that when I came back from deployment, I was not a whole lot ready to go do it again. Unlike some people, like the senior crewman on my deployment, he had just come back. He had just come back, and he said uh, to one of the pilots that he had flew that went on his deployment, "I'll go again with you when when he was in charge." So he, that guy became the officer in charge of my detachment. And this guy, he'd just come back, so I'm going to go again. He had, he liked going out to sea. He liked doing those things. He was better adjusted mentally or mature, maturity-wise to deal with being an air crewman on an HSL detachment that, you know, did maintenance or helped with maintenance or did all this stuff and did his flying job. There's some communities out there at that point that you did your flying job and you studied and you didn't do you didn't help with maintenance, okay? Because you're on an aircraft carrier where there's bazillion people that are have a passing familiarity with the aircraft, or you're on a, you're in a P3 squadron that 
you know, their their version of deployment is fly to another you know another land based place and do their work there. So, and they took their whole squadron with them. So it's I don't know. It just wasn't overall at that point. Being completely honest with you, it was not my cup of tea. Overall, I enjoyed the flying. I appreciated seeing other places. I appreciated being on the boat. I appreciated, this may sound corny, appreciating the sacrifice, you know, of, of what a deployment is on families. I mean, heck, I'm single, but still, I could see what it was doing to other people. But I just didn't fully appreciate and fully enjoy all the stuff that came with it. I didn't, I didn't, this is going to sound bad. I just didn't like working when everyone else got time off. And then when it was my time to be time off, too bad. We need your help. You're working too. It just, it was, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Sure, I dealt with it and sure I helped. But when it came time to come back, I'm not, I'm not raising my hand and volunteering to go on deployment again. You know, screw you. I did my time. When it's my turn, I'll go again. I'm not volunteering for crap. Which leads me up to the point of, well, if I don't volunteer and get on, then another deployment or another detachment, then I'm not going to be... They can't get me out and back before my time is up. Because it's other people's turn, right? You come back, they can't, you know, they can't make you go out of turn, I guess. I guess I could, but they didn't, Okay. You come back, you get back in the back of the line, and then you wait your turn to get put back on a detachment again. If I had, you know, I'm getting back in line, you know, I'm not going until you until it's my turn again. My turn again is up in the is coming up again in the spring. Okay, it's like back for six months: September, October, November, December, January, February. Uh, out of debt, debted up again in February of '85, and. Oh, well, that's not long. You know, I didn't have enough time. So if I was to be helpful to the squadron and be able to go out on another deployment, I would have to extend my enlistment. Now, having just gone on a deployment and having the the balance or the, the good and the bad I just told you about, at this point, I'm not sure that I'm staying in. Okay, Before going on deployment, I was having a good time. I enjoyed my job, I enjoyed what I did, and I could have seen myself doing it for 20 years. Come back from deployment, there's no way. <laughs> like, you know, now the Navy has what they call the sea shore rotation. You have three years of sea duty, three years of shore duty, three years of sea duty, and you alternate back and forth. Well, I arrived in the squadron in April of 1984, so the earliest I can rotate out for shore duty would be uh, April of 87. So, you know, I, if I was going to stay in, the first thing I would have done was uh, extend till April of 87 to get my three-year sea duty done, then re-enlist and, you know, for six years and do a, a shore duty rotation then sea duty rotation. At that point, you're in for 10, 10 years and plus, whatever. So, you may, you know, now you're halfway done. So I could have seen myself doing that before I went on deployment. Come back from deployment? No way. I was done. I was done with dealing with that. I would, I would re-enlist to change communities or platforms. Uh, going to get into the S3s, the jets or whatever. Um, 
but the Navy wasn't going to do that for me. You know, I'm, I mean, they've already trained me on this. You know, this is my job. This is my rating or my rate. Uh, no, my rating. Sorry. Rate is rate of pay. Rating is what you do. All right. So this, this is what they got for me to do. And if you don't want to do it, then yeah, go, don't let the door hit you. So when it came time to, you know, be approached, you get, you know, I'm getting, I'm not leaving again until it's my turn. Well, your turn's going to be in February or March, and now you're too short. I'm getting out in, in November, February or March, not enough time to be on a deployment. Can't use you at that point. So now you would think at this point, okay, I'm just going to be a home guard air crewman. I'm going to do my flying once or twice a week. I'm going to part my knowledge on, on the junior guys coming in. But... Uh, I got caught up in an administrative uh, issue, uh, and the and the gist of this, without going into sordid detail, was that I was not qualified to fly, and I was not qualified to man this aircraft. Never mind that I just come back from a deployment where I put 500 plus hours of time inside this airplane this administrative question had come up. So now in typical Navy fashion, if there's any question or doubt cast upon you, uh, justified or not, or serious or not, everything stops while they investigate and check it out. So that's the Navy way. So it's not like, oh, benefit of the doubt. Yeah, you, you keep flying while I figure out if this problem is really applies to you or not. Nope. If it applies, if there's any, you know, if we think this might apply to you, so you have to stop while we figure it out. So now I can't do my job. And the squadron, I'm not qualified. I'm qualified to do daily inspections or work the, the, the line shack or, you know, launch recover airplane aircraft and do the daily turnaround inspection. But no, all that stuff is put on hold. And... Now the squadron has to find something for me to do. Uh, so the first thing they did is they put me in the coffee mess. The coffee mess is a little, well, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's a coffee shop, but it's it's a little place where the coffee machines are kept. We had a, uh, a cabinet full of little snacks, you know, granola bars, candy bars, Pop-Tarts, stuff like that. Cup of noodles. You know, breakfast snacks, lunch snacks, little items like that. We had a little fridge of sodas, and we charge money. My main job was to, I, I had to get there at 5.30 in the morning. I had to fill up. We had a big, those big sparkler water bottle things. I had to fill those up with water. And to make like four pots of coffee for the people who were coffee fiends. And, you know, they'd come in. They'd toss their quarter on the table, fill up their coffee, and off they'd go. Or they'd... Give me their 50 I mean, they bought. I basically ran this little store. Okay. And I did that. I did that for a couple months. Uh, so also while I collected the money, I had to go shop at the commissary to whenever we ran out of whatever and fill the stuff back up. And the squad was making a killing. I mean, a box of Pop-Tarts cost a buck. 
and we make 50 cents off each one you know 50 cents per little pack it's only three packs at that point so you know we buy it for buck sell the whole thing for buck 50 and it was to make raise money for little things the squadron needed to spend money on the little welcome home parties things like that you know when this detachment came back so i did that um I did that through, because I remember we also ran our football pool <laughs> out of that. So I remember collecting the football pool sheets um, up until Christmas time. And then I went on leave. I was gone the month of January. I took, I took uh, in the holiday episode, I talked about where I had taken 33 days worth of leave, but I ended up being gone for 40 days because of the way the holiday scheduling worked out. And hopefully that I'd come back in February, this this paperwork issue would be done and you know, I'll be back to working. Well, no, things don't move that fast. They had found someone else to run the coffee mess, which is fine because I didn't enjoy being there at 530 in the morning. Um, so what they ended up doing is they put me on, uh, they made me the squadron duty driver for the day. And... Uh, yeah, so the duty driver, he worked from 7.30 to 4.30, eight hours, um, and ran people around. I, I mean, if someone needed a ride somewhere, they'd call me. I'd take them to the, you know, the personnel support detachment, uh, you know, the, the personnel office. Uh, sometimes I'd have to go to the wing. I'd drive someone to the wing. Or sometimes I'm the one that had to go route, you know, the... The message traffic, the uh, deliver the the you know the freaking envelopes with holes in them. Holy Joe's, you know the little inner office mail. Goodness gracious, <laughs> inner office mail envelopes. I'd have to take a pile of them to the wing and pick up ours. You know, I had daily duties at like that. Um, if a detachment was going to sea and they needed a ride down to their ship, I drive them over to the Thirty Second Street Naval Station so they can get on their ship. Um, one time we had an aircraft that had a a mechanical failure and landed near the lighthouse of Point Loma. So I had to go drive some maintenance people out there so they can see if they can fix it. Um, so basically I did that. I did that for until, well, springtime. Well, into the summer we had, I played softball. I was on our squadron softball team and the, the Navy intramural back then the intramural softball league at, on North Island was actually pretty cool. They started the season with a double elimination tournament that went all Memorial Day weekend. And then we played our season. We played Tuesdays, Thursdays, played during the week. Uh, hardly any weekends, which is kind of funny, but we played weekdays either at lunch or after, right after work. Did that all the way through up until Labor Day. Then they closed the season with, a again, another double elimination tournament, which is kind of funny because, you know, to win out, all you had to play was like six games straight, win six games straight. But if you lost one game somewhere in there, then you ended up having to play like 13 games to get back into it. It was just kind of funny, the you know, the loser bracket. Uh, flag football started in the fall, like September right after that. I played that until I got out. Um, but the paperwork issue um, never got cleared up. It, um, so, yeah, they... they Either, well, I, I at one point I was like, okay, fine, forget it. It's not worth my effort to try to clear this up. 
they did eventually come back to me. Okay, we figured out the problem. Um, you can get back in the air, but again, you're gonna need to extend so we can, because we need the we need the time to basically reinstate. <laughs> I lost my job through a paperwork problem, and to get reinstated would take this much time. So you either need to reenlist and extend, or extend and you can get back in the air. Well, okay, at this point it's June. I'm getting out in five months. Forget it. You know, I'm not exactly eager to get back on deployment. I do miss the flying. It was hard seeing all your um, fellow air crewmen going out and doing their job every day or, or even going on deployment or whatever and not getting to do that. But quite frankly, at this point, I'm not trusting the Navy. I'm not trusting my leadership. I'm not trusting the system. So forget it. There's, there, you know, screw you guys. It's your mistake. You lost out. I'm, I've, again, this may sound immature, but I've got my easy life. I work from 7.30 to 4.30. Now there's no late days, there's no extra whatever. Um, it gives me plenty of time to play these games, have a kickback summer. Um, you know, we had holidays off, we had some squadron, the skipper gave us some, some squadron days off. I earned a couple days off by doing good uh, at personnel inspections. I mean, between Memorial Day and Labor Day, you know, the, the basic holidays that start and end the summer, I didn't work a full work week that whole time. I, um, I either got extra days off because of the holiday, I got extra days off because the squadron commanding officer gave us days off, or a couple times I had family in town my father came to visit, so I took, you know, asked for to use a day's worth of leave or an extra, uh, extra day's worth of liberty, you know, uh, get a three-day weekend, three-day pass out of it. So that whole time I didn't work. And then in August, late July, August, um, all through this time I was uh, I was part of the Sea Cadets. Um, you can look them up, the Sea Cadets. They're... Um, how do I explain? Think of boy or girl scouts, but they're affiliated with the Navy. You know, there's the Navy League, which is the like civilian arm of the Navy. They're the Navy supporters. They're called the Navy League. And the Navy League has a youth program called the Sea Cadets, the United States Naval Sea Cadet Corps. And as an adult, you know, I'm an adult leader for the Sea Cadets. I had a unit that was in San Diego that I would... Uh, Tuesday and Thursday nights or Tuesday night, one night a week and then every, one weekend a month I shoot I can't remember the schedule it's been so long but I would go and I would be adult growing up leadership for these teenagers and um, you know I the the unit the the sea cadet unit enjoyed having me there because I would be able to tell about my recent and current experience of what it's like to be in the Navy. A lot of these kids uh, are want to join the military, um, the Navy specifically. And if a teenager joins the Sea Cadets at age 14, because the Sea Cadets has their own rank structure, they have their own promotion path, they take the, they take the same correspondence courses that regular sailors do to advance. If they want to become a um, like a second class 
petty officer in the sea cadets, they have to take the basic military requirement test, which is what a regular Navy guy has to do to become an E3. I mean, and um, and the Navy League and the sea cadet corps keeps track of this stuff. So if a teenager does their, you know, three years, 14, 15, 16, 17, four years, they graduate high school, and they've done all this stuff and they've advanced in the sea cadets and they go and they join the Navy, they'll be put in the Navy and at an advanced rank because they've done the stuff already. It's, it was really kind of cool. And they had, but they had the Navy, the sea cadet corps has lots of opportunities for these kids. And one of the things they did in the summer was called the TWT or the two week training. Did it in the summer. The first TWT a sea cadet did, if they're new to the sea cadets, is a two week version of the Navy's boot camp. Uh, and the Navy in San Diego, you know, there was a basic training facility in San Diego for the for the Navy. It's gone now. It's been bracked. Um, but they would send kids to, and and the Navy would provide the sea cadets with actual recruit company commanders. Men whose current job it is is to take a civilian off the street and in eight weeks turn him into a sailor, okay? So they take these guys that had just finished pushing a company of recruits through basic training. And they, the standard is they push a company, they take some time, uh, they do time in another job that a company commander does in the testing house, whatever on base that's, that is part of recruit training, but not actually pushing recruits. You know what I'm saying? So this would be one of their times. They just finished pushing a, or a company of recruits, and now they're going to work two weeks with kids, high, you know, teenagers. And the Navy, I mean, they gave them a barracks. They gave The Navy gave them food because they went and ate at the Navy chow hall. The Navy gave them, again, company commanders. And then the sea cadet people would send their own adult grown-up leadership types to kind of run the show. So for every Navy, in the Navy, company commander, there was a sea cadet grown up there with them. Now, keep in mind that most sea cadet leaders, officers, right? The the, the grown up, I keep using the word grown up, adult. <laughs> the adult leadership and the sea cadets, they're, they're officers and the kids are have the enlisted ranks, okay? So the sea cadets, the sea cadet corps would send officers to administer and run the two-week training uh, and I was and we had four companies of, of two-week training recruits of sea cadet recruits for one of a better term and each each company of sea cadet recruits would get one Navy company commander and two sea cadet officers you know adult leaders to go with that company commander because it was the the sea cadet officers are actually responsible for the health and safety and well-being of the kids. And we, you know, so that was the way we kind of would do it. And for two weeks. So I was an adult leader in sea cadets. I was a sea cadet officer. Uh, and two-week training is coming. And my unit asked me, well, the, and the unit had a, we had a local area commander, right? He ran all the local units in San Diego for sea cadets. There's like three of them. And they asked, are you going to be able to help with two-week training this year? Because the previous year, I was on deployment. And the year prior to that, um, I was too new. I was, uh, I had like just started, uh, 
doing Sea Cadet stuff in the summer of 84. And I was kind of sporadic. I hadn't found my unit. Anyway, so here I finally get to do to two-week training in, in summer of 86. And I'm the duty driver still. I go to the senior chief that's running, you know, who's my boss. And I say, hey, you know, you, you know what the Sea Cadets are? Yeah, yeah, I know what the Sea Cadets are. Well, they're having the two-week training, and I'd like to go do that. Well, we'll be more than happy to let you go do that uh, if you take leave. I'm like, screw that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have to take leave. This is this is a, uh, a Navy-sponsored and funded group of people. I should be able to go, right? No, nah, no, nah, if you don't want to take leave, I can't let you go. Now, i got to remember, I'm still kind of pissed off. I'm still kind of bitter. I'm not getting to do my job. And um, so I go crack the books. And sure enough, there's an OPNAV instruction, Operational Navy instruction, that clearly states that if, you know, if a uh, person in the Navy is currently affiliated with the United States Naval Sea Cadet Corps unit, they are authorized up to 30 days of no cost temporary assigned duty orders to go support the Sea Cadet Corps. Ha ha ha. So <laughs> I fill out my requests. I want two weeks off to support, you know, two week training at Recruit Training Center San Diego as per OPNAV instruction and, uh, you know, according to the book, chapter, subsection, all that in the thing, handed it to him. And he was pissed. <laughs> That I was playing a game on him. No, read it. Look it up. Well, sure enough, right? So I got my two weeks off for free. Well, free. I not have to take leave. How about that? I got my two weeks to go do the two-week training with the Sea Cadets. Uh, it was a good time. Made some good friends. I'm talking about on the grown-up side, okay? Uh, some of the kids were kind of memorable. You know, they, they were... Of course, remember, I'm only like four years older than some of these guys, some of these kids. You know, these are seniors in high school, or they're getting ready to be seniors in high school. They just graduated, and they're, they're motivated. They're ready to go in the military. And, you know, so they were, they were, they were pleasant to hang around, okay? You know, there's not a whole lot of 21-year-old kids that are looking forward to hanging around with 17-year-old kids uh, and think of them as, you know, not a great divide. But yeah, and, and the recruit company commander that uh, I worked with, he was a great guy. We had the same birthday, actually. <laughs> um, he was a good guy, and uh, we were we remained friends for the first few years after I got out. He was, we did good. Eh. So anyway, so that that's one of the things that getting shafted out of working, my real job, allowed me to go do some other fun stuff. Um, okay, so... What else? Oh, okay. I got to take my last flight ever in the H-2 in September of... It's late September? Late September, early October of 1986. One of the pilots that I went to sea with, he's now a senior pilot in the squadron, or more senior pilot in the squadron, and uh, he is taking a more junior pilot on a cross-country trip. The cross-country trip was going to be to Carson City, where he, uh, this senior pilot, L Lieutenant Sullivan, uh, 
where Lieutenant Sullivan's family lived. Okay. They lived in Carson City, Nevada. And I can't remember if I asked him to go. I heard that he was doing a cross country. And it was, it was one of the things our squadron did is that the cross countries, you know, two pilots and air crewmen and maybe a maintenance guy who was high on someone's list or knew somebody or whatever, they would go, they would get to go. Well, I'd asked Lieutenant Sullivan, hey, is your fourth spot taken yet? No, it's not. I'd like to go with you. Great. No problem. It'll be fun. Dig this cross country. We, we've, the cross country flight plan was like this. Fly from North Island to the Marine Corps Air Station at Tustin for gas. Fly from the Marine Corps Air Station at Tustin to Lemoore, Naval Air Station Lemoore in Central California for gas. Fly from there to uh, Mather Air Force Base in Sacramento for gas. Fly from Mather Air Force Base east over the Sierra Nevadas into Reno, fill up with gas. Fly from Reno to the little uncontrolled civilian airport in Carson City. Leave the helicopter there. You know, every place we stopped for, ga for gas would be a military installation. Reno, the Reno airport had a National Guard side of the airstrip where we could land and get gas. And this was to be a four-day trip. We're going to fly Friday. Get there for late Friday evening. Friday evening, be there Saturday, Sunday, and then fly home Monday. So we took off, flew to Tustin. Now remember, I'm not a crewman, I'm a guest. I'm a guest on this flight. Um, I could help, you know, the, the air crewman did know who I was, right? Knew that I had experience, knew that I had gotten a raw deal. So while technically, and according to the rules, I couldn't really do a whole lot, I could still, I still knew how to, I was still qualified to drive support equipment. I was still qualified to do some of those things, but yeah, anyway, um, you know, so we flew from, okay, to Tustin, got gas, they had hot pits there, we didn't have to shut down, flew from, from, uh, Tustin to Lemoore, Lemoore did not have hot pits for us, we had to shut down, uh, and wait for a fuel truck to come fill us up, Mather Air Force Base, same thing, no hot pits, we had to shut down, uh, interesting thing, flying from, uh, from Tustin to Lemoore, uh, LA Center put uh, a Huey Cobra behind us. <laughs> and we could hear on the radio the Cobra asking if he could fly around us because our maximum speed was like 50 knots slower than his maximum speed and he had to get somewhere fast. I don't know. You know, you got to color this with 23 years of distance, right? Maybe not remembering all that detail. Get to Lemoore, fill up, no problem. Get to Mather, call for gas, they come fill up, no problem. But we had a different problem, and the different problem was weather. There was a crazy weather front rolling in up over the Sierras, Sierra Nevada Mountains, you know, Donner Summit, all that, and uh, it was calling for snow and ice, and we were not going to be allowed to fly in snow and ice. We could fly in rain all day long. Because we're all weather, right? But just not snow and ice. So we, the crewman and I were done gassing up the helicopter. We're at Mather Air Force Base, which is south of Sac which is in the southern parts of Sacramento. And um, 
the pilots come back from the weather briefing, the flight planning office, and they're like, we have a problem. Weather's coming in. We're not going to be able to fly through it. We're not going to, we can't get out of here in time to beat it. So what do you guys want to do? And I'm like, you know, I have no vote. I'm just along for the ride. I'll do whatever. So the pilots look at each other and they say to, say to me and the other guy, okay, well, we thought we could rent a car and finish our trip that way. Okay. You know, flying, driving from here to Reno, a couple hours, Reno to Carson City, another half hour, 45 minutes, be no problem. All right, fine. Let's go rent a car and go. So we didn't even bother changing out of our flight suits. You know, we just grabbed our gear, threw it in the trunk. We got a little Ford Tempo, <laughs> Comp, you know, not a compact car, but not a mid-sized car either, intermediate, in-between, whatever. Hop in our little front-wheel drive car, off we go. Well, as we're driving Interstate 80 up over the Donner Summit to go to Reno, it's snowing and the road's closed. And the CHP, is only that's California Highway Patrol, they're only letting people through that have chains on their on the wheels of their car right and and it's a the instead of a four-lane highway that's zooming along one direction it's slowly being squeezed down into one lane so the cops can stop and check people for chains and we're like oh my gosh what are we gonna do you know it's traffic jam it's late you know it's it's not a three and a half hour trip anymore it's you know turning into five six hours and uh you know we're like talking and trying to come up with a plan what are we going to do we roll up and the cop rolls down the window and or the cop rolls down the window you know our pilot rolls down the window this is even an officer and like says as you can tell it's snowing so i need to ask if you have chains for your car and and uh the officer says, no we don't need we have mud we have snow tires on if you look at them they're for mud and snow cop says oh okay go on <laughs> so we creep along through the snowy Donner Summit and uh, into Reno and then down to Carson City, Nevada. Now, I slept through, shortly after we made it through the checkpoint, I was tired, I fell asleep, and I woke up at the parents' house of this pilot. And they are the nicest people. They put me and the other air crewmen up in our own little room with two, you know, single little beds, you know, like uh, leave it to beaver, right? Um, next morning, they've cooked us breakfast. And then, you know, we just kind of, the pilot showed us around his town of Carson City. Uh, that night we went gambling, of course. Uh, Sunday was more of the same. It was the same, you know, get up, they feed us breakfast. We go check out the town, go gambling that night, have a good time. It was a, it was a great weekend. It was lots of fun. Uh, I made like, I made like a hundred bucks gambling at blackjack. It was actually probably the last time I've won big money at blackjack. Yeah, I gotta remember this is 1986, so a hundred bucks worth a lot more than it is now, right? And that was at a two dollar blackjack table too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was an overall good time. The the once once we got into Carson City. You know, the pilots told the aircrew and I, okay, you know, let's call each other by first names. Let's try let's try to be a little bit less formal so as not to make other people uncomfortable, you know. But then again, don't push it too hard. Don't get too familiar, you know. 
but we're all professionals. You know, the, the one pilot and I, we had sailed together. We had lots of flight time together in the airplane, so we were able to deal, you know, we were able to handle that without too much of a problem. Now, the one caveat or the one issue that we're going to face with renting this car is the, the, the rental car had a mileage limit on it of like 100 miles a day. Remember, this is the mid-80s, so back in that day, there was, uh, you know, there's limits to how many miles. Now it's always unlimited miles, right? Well, from Mather Air Force Base to Reno via Highway 80 to Carson City, um, that's like 250 miles. The point being is that if we drove back, the uh, it would be over. Oh, let me quick tangent. The next day, I mean, it was Friday, the weather, crap, raining, snow up at the top of the summit, right? Snow, ice, get down to Reno, whatever. Next day, it's gone. <laughs> it was crystal clear, bright blue skies, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. <laughs> Just that Friday, it kind of hosed us. And we'd actually discussed, hey, maybe we should drive back to Sacramento, get our airplane, and come back. No, because that'll take half the day, or three-quarters of the day. Screw it, we're here. We'll deal with driving back. So Monday morning... Got our air, we got in our little trusty Ford Tempo. Um, traced the speedometer cable <laughs> to the side of the transmission and unplugged it. <laughs> so, as you know, we wouldn't go over the, the miles. <laughs> and we took Highway 50 south of Lake Tahoe back into Sacramento. Um, just outside of town, we pulled over, plugged the thing back in, and then drove to the rental car place. We got back to our aircraft about 10 o'clock and uh, retraced our steps and got back to North Island about 6 o'clock that night. Again, me, their Air Force Base to Lemoore. Lemoore to Marine Corps Air Station Tustin, Tustin to North Island. And uh, that was it. That was my last flight in the H-2. It was a very fun cross-country trip to Carson City, Nevada. Gambling, some drinking. Met some nice people. Um, had a generally good time. And that was that was actually kind of a good wrap-up to my time. Um, after that, it was more duty driver work. It was uh, playing flag football during lunch or after work on the intramural flag football stuff. And then the week before I got out, start the out processing. Takes a, you, know, you wouldn't think it takes a week, but... You know, Monday you visit and get this done. Tuesday you visit this other place, get this done. My actual get-out date was the 16th, which was a Sunday. So no one works on Saturday and Sunday, so they let me go on Friday the 14th. And uh, packed up my stuff at my, my roommate's house. Guy I was living at the bought a house. I rented my room from him, packed my stuff up. Actually, the week before... The weekend before I get out, I drove up to my uncle's house, uh, left my car there and brought back his little pickup truck and then loaded that sucker up. And then, you know, Friday at like noon, it was like, see you later. I'm done. Collected my check because uh, I took, um, I sold back my leave. I had like, I had like 30 days worth of leave still to sell. So I got a big check for that. My final paycheck, all those things. And, um, Went back to my buddy's house, threw all the boxes in the back, and by one by one p.m. Friday, I was driving away from San Diego. Go uh, 
go stay with my uncle up in Los Angeles. Now, the only downside, and I've said this for the last 20 plus years, the only downside to that getting out of the Navy was having to leave San Diego. San Diego is a great place to live. I, I enjoyed living there. I liked living there. I miss some aspects of it. Yeah, I thought it would be smart to get a, a clean break and just get away from the Navy town, get away from the Navy, just kind of forget how I kind of got hosed, you know, and start a new chapter in my life and just get out and be done with it. So, yeah, I miss San Diego. I still had some friends that were in. Um, my The gentleman I lived with, you know, I'd call him up once in a while and go visit, go back and visit every once in a while. But um, I'm the type of person that doesn't look back. You know, I'm done with you. I'm done with something. You know, uh, that's it. I'm done. No more. That That's the end of it. And, and, ult- and ultimately, I got, I really started missing flying and I went back in the Army Reserve to get back in the air. But that's a whole separate story. Um, I just, that's it. <laughs> there. Um, so, it was kind of rambling, a little bit more rambling than usual. Uh, but for those of you who are wondering how my time in the Navy finished, there you go. Uh, I'm still very proud of my service in the Navy. I will defend my time. You know, I still associate myself with Naval Aviation. I did my time there. I did my stuff. Um, you know, I don't, if anybody asks me what my, what service I'm affiliated to, I can pick two. I still always say Navy first because that was my active duty time. Um, I think they're, I still think they're the best branch in the military to serve in. And so there you go. All right. Now, honestly, next time <laughs> will be uh, the guest speakers. I, I, got, I got no more to tell you about as far as fly, naval aviation, as far as I'm concerned. So guests, guests, guests only from now on. Okay. Thank you for your patience. Those of you who are disappointed that I was talking about myself yet again. I, 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 my defense is people ask me to and rest assured that that's it. Okay. <laughs> We're done with it. Um, so yeah, there you go. Uh, feedback. You can leave feedback on iTunes. You can go to navalair.net. That website has been redesigned. There's entries for each episode there. There's a little tab, which most likely have a zero in it. If you click on that tab, you could leave comments there if you'd like. Or you could send me an email, mike at navalair.net. And here's something, here's a new request. If you know somebody in your circle of friends that are friends or family or family acquaintances that served in the Navy as pilots, Naval flight officers, uh, flight surgeons, you know, naval aviation of some kind, and they have high-speed internet and are not afraid to talk on, on Skype for me to interview them, I'd be more than happy to talk to them and record their stories and play them for you here. Okay, so if you know people that are not afraid to talk and share their stories, send me an email, mike at navalair.net. Tell me what the, you know, 
Tell me if they're willing, ready, able. Give me their email address. I'll start an email dialogue with them and see if they're willing to share their stories with you, the wonderful audience. Okay? So once again, Mike at NavalAir.net. And you can go to NavalAir.net, leave feedback for these episodes, or you can go to iTunes and leave feedback there. Um, I'd really appreciate it. So there you go. Um, This is the closure episode for Mike's time in naval aviation. Uh, That's going to be it. I'm going to sign off now. Stay safe and God bless.